This podcast is made for educational purposes only. Please consult current references before providing any advice to your patients. Hello and welcome. This is Farmtastic 4 and today's topic is glaucoma. Glaucoma is a type of neuropathy that damages the optic nerve. There are many different types and classifications of glaucoma. What we most commonly see in a community pharmacy though is so-called open-angle glaucoma. This disease leads to progressive vision loss and may result in irreversible blindness if not treated on time. Today we will discuss the topical pharmacological options of eye drops for the treatment of open-angle glaucoma, various systemic, topical implants, laser and surgical approaches exist, but this will not be covered in this topic. A little bit of anatomy recap. The eye has three chambers filled up with fluid, the anterior, posterior and vitreous chambers. The vitreous chamber is filled up with a gel-like fluid and it gives our eye its ball-like shape. The vitreous chamber is not part of this topic. The anterior and posterior chambers lie anterior to the lens and are separated by the iris. The iris is perforated in the center to form a pupil. The aqueous humor of the anterior and posterior chambers is constantly being produced and reabsorbed. Those processes are responsible for the maintenance of intraocular pressure. The aqueous humor is secreted into the posterior chamber and is reabsorbed in the anterior chamber. It circulates between the anterior and posterior chambers through the pupil. The lens and the cornea don't have blood supply, so the aqueous humor brings nutrients and oxygen to those structures and washes away the products of their metabolism. The topical treatment options of glaucoma aim to achieve a decrease in intraocular pressure by either the reduction in aqueous humor production, for example, alpha-2 agonists, beta blockers and carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, or increase its outflow, prostaglandin analogs, alpha-2 agonists and cholinergic agonists target this pathway. When we talk about open or closed-angle glaucoma, we refer to the angle of the reabsorbing tubules in the anterior chamber, the angle between the iris and cornea. In the closed-angle glaucoma, the reabsorbing mesh network is blocked, the angle is closed, and that is why reabsorption of the aqueous humor doesn't happen. This normally leads to a sudden increase in intraocular pressure and is a medical emergency. Open-angle glaucoma is a chronic progressive disease. It is characterized by anatomically correct positions of the eye structures involved in the circulation of the fluid. However, for various reasons, some of which are still a mystery to medical professionals, the circulation of the fluid is affected. In most cases, glaucoma is accompanied by an increased intraocular pressure, and this increase is the only modifiable risk factor that can preserve the vision if addressed in a timely manner. At the same time, not all patients suffering from increased intraocular pressure will develop optic nerve neuropathy, and some patients will develop neuropathy even if their intraocular pressure is within normal range. The suggested mechanisms for the optic neuropathy is physical compression and subsequent ischemia 
of the optic nerve. Exact mechanisms are still under investigation. The treating doctor will have to use their clinical judgment to decide when to treat and how aggressive the treatment should be. The majority of healthy people would have an intraocular pressure below 21 mmHg and the risk of glaucoma rapidly increases as the readings rise. The intraocular pressure targets vary for different patients, normally around 25-30% to below their initial reading. The target intraocular pressure depends on the examination of the optic nerve, how rapid the progression of the nerve damage is, and how significant the visual loss is. Patients' age, family history, comorbidities, and many other factors will also be taken into account. Bringing the intraocular pressure down has shown to be very effective in preserving the optic nerve. It is also important to point out that the response to pharmacological treatment is not instant. Ideally, we want to check the response to the medication in 3-4 to four weeks and then in 2-4 to four months. The drops are normally discontinued if, after the trial period, there is no significant reduction in intraocular pressure. Sometimes the patients will be advised to start treatment in one eye, so the other eye is left as a control to see if the drops are working. If the intraocular pressure gets reduced in the treated eye and not in the control eye, the treatment is concluded to be effective and will continue in both eyes. If the patient has only a partial response to the first-line treatment option, the doctor may add a second medication. International guidelines debate if replacing one medication with another from the same class is effective. In Australia, we sometimes see different prostaglandin analogue tried if the first representative of this class doesn't provide satisfactory results. Let's now have a look at what medications are used in Australia. One of the first-line treatment options are prostaglandin analogues. It is the most effective class of medications in lowering intraocular pressure. This class works on the level of the ciliary body, increasing the outflow of aqueous humor. This drug class has mostly topical side effects. Prostaglandin analogues may cause hyperpigmentation of the iris and eyelashes, increase the length and thickness of eyelashes, changes to the tissues around the eyes, giving the tired look, dark circles and loss of the fat tissue around the eyes. Common complaints of eye irritation are thought to be caused by a preservative. A few drops now have a preservative-free option. In addition, prostaglandin analogues may cause or worsen existing inflammation in the eye such as iritis, uveitis or herpetic keratitis. The prostaglandin analogues available in Australia are Bimetaprost or Lumigan and its generics and Lumigan preservative free, Latanaprost, Xalatan and its generics, Tafluprost or Saflutan, it's a preservative free formulation, and Travaprost or Travatan. The next class is beta blockers. Beta blockers work by reducing aqueous fluent production. They have lots of adverse effects due to their systemic absorption, bronchoconstriction and bronchospasm, hypotension, bradyarrhythmia, 
reduction in cardiac output, and they may be contraindicated in patients suffering from pulmonary or cardiac disease. As beta blockers cross the blood-brain barrier, they may also cause anxiety, depression, and sleep disturbances. Sexual dysfunction is another side effect that many patients may not feel comfortable to discuss or may not relate to the use of eye drops. Beta blockers interact with other medications that cause bradyarrhythmias and should be avoided in patients taking verapamil. Representatives are betaxolol or betoptic and its generics and timolol. Timolol comes in two different brands, timoptol and timoptol XE. Timoptol is used twice a day and the XE formulation, a gel-forming drop, is used once a day and may cause less systemic adverse effects. Timolol is a non-selective beta-blocker and betaxolol is a beta-1-selective beta-blocker. Beta-1-selective agents are preferred in patients with respiratory comorbidities but might not be as effective. Now moving on to alpha-2 agonists. Alpha-2 agonists are the second-line treatment. They have double action, they reduce production and increase the outflow of aqueous humor. Watch out for fatigue, dizziness, dry mouth and hypotension. Allergic reactions are also not uncommon, especially with aproclonidine. Representatives of alpha-2 agonists are aproclonidine, iopidine, it's used as a short-term treatment only for up to three months, and brimonidine. Brimonidine comes in 0.15% alpha-gun P and 0.2% alpha-gun brands. Both formulations have the same efficacy and are used twice a day. Alpha-gun P is formulated with a different preservative, purite, and seems to be tolerated better. The next class is carbonic anhydrase inhibitors. Carbonic anhydrase inhibitors are also the second-line treatment option. Various processes regulate aqueous humor production. One of them is through the enzyme carbonic anhydrase. Carbonic anhydrase inhibitors block this enzyme, which leads to a decrease in aqueous humor production. The drugs of this class are not as effective, require more frequent 2-3 to three times a day administration and have a bitter taste. However, they are generally better tolerated and cause less side effects. The carbonic anhydrase inhibitors representatives are brinzolamide, azopt and its generics, and dorzolamide, truzopt and other brands. Lastly, cholinergic agonists. These are the third and fourth line treatment options. They constrict the ciliary muscle and therefore increase the aqueous humor outflow. They also cause meiosis, leading to decreased vision in low light. We almost never see this medication in our practice. The only cholinergic available in our pharmacies is pilocarpine. Multiple drug combinations also exist. A beta blocker timolol comes in a combination with the majority of active ingredients. We've got combinations of timolol with prostaglandin analogs, with bimataprost, gunfort and gunfort preservative free, with latanaprost, xalacom, with travaprost, duotraf. Combinations of timolol with carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, 
with brinzolamide, azarga, and with dorzolamide, cosopt, and cosopt preservative free. And there is a combination of timalol with an alpha-2 agonist, brimonidine, which is combigan. Carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, brinzolamide, and an alpha-2 agonist, brimonidine, also exist in a combination under brand name Simbrinza. In the US, there is also a rokinase inhibitor, nitarsodil, that is used either alone or in a combination with latanoprost. Another newer drug, latanoprestine bunod, is a nitric oxide donating prostaglandin analogue. All those medications increase the outflow of the aqueous humor by different mechanisms. Many new drug therapies now look at neuroprotection, preventing nerve tissue death, rather than simply reducing the intraocular pressure as the treatment target. So watch the space, it is possible that we will see many more new drugs for glaucoma coming up soon. Useful tips to give to our patients regardless of the class of the glaucoma eye drops they use is wait at least 5 minutes between different drops or if two drops are prescribed. Once you instill the drop, close your eye and press in the corner of the eye for about 2 minutes to retain the drop in the eye, otherwise you will just swallow it. The correct technique is also minimizing the frequency of systemic adverse effects. Most drops in bottles last a month. Note the date when you open it and discard it even if there is still some liquid left. This is because the preservative will not be working well after this time and the drops may become contaminated. Single-use vials should be discarded immediately after the use, as they contain no preservative and may not be safe for the use at a later time. If you wear contact lenses, make sure you remove them before using the drops. Wait at least 10-15 minutes after you use the drops before inserting your contact lenses. Some patients may not feel if the drop have been successfully administered. We may suggest keeping the eye drops in the fridge as it is easier to feel a cold drop dropping into the eye. It should be explained to the patients that the medication will only work if it is used daily. The pharmacological treatment is usually lifelong, unless other treatment options are used. And if they stop using the drops, once the target levels have been achieved, the intraocular pressure will rise again. As pharmacists, we also need to keep in mind that some medications may cause an increase in intraocular pressure and may either affect the treatment of glaucoma or increase the risk of developing glaucoma. Some examples are cold and flu tablets with pseudoephedrine, some antidepressants, for example, SSRIs and tricyclics, treatment with glucocorticoids for over two weeks. This includes formulations for ocular, oral, inhaled and periocular use. Interestingly, according to up-to-date, intranasal glucocorticoids were not found to cause an increase in intraocular pressure despite a warning issued by the manufacturers. Other examples are antipsychotics, ocular vasoconstrictors, the eye drops for the red eyes, and anticholinergic medications, samas and lamas for treatment of asthma and COPD, antihistamines, and anticholinergics for urinary incontinence. Thank you for listening. 
Follow us on Spotify to keep up to date with Farmtastic 4.